The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. What is it, Meg? What's the song? He's worthy of all honor and all praise. I just don't know the title. What is it? Blessed Assurance. Wow. You know, I would never do well and name that tune if that's around. I am terrible at this. Every week I miss this song. I know these songs. I grew up with these songs, but it's terrible. Invite your attention this morning to uh, Exodus chapter 33, 33 and verse 18 and following. Uh, if you're visiting with us or you forgot your Bible, that's page 77 on the blue books. Uh, the blue Bible's in front of you. Uh, we've been in a series the last, hard to believe, last eight weeks. Isn't that crazy to think? Last eight weeks of who God is, his attributes, his character, and honestly, who God's not, because we have to cover both sides of that coin. I pray it's been a profitable study for you. I know it's been profitable to study this uh, personally, and, and hopefully it's communicated well through the pulpit. Uh, coming up in a couple weeks, just give you another announcement, your very own Blake Loy will be giving the sermon. I hope you're excited for that. Uh, I don't fill the pulpit. I feel like I'm just like this narrow guy up here. If you want the big muscular lumberjack approach, Blake's got that down pretty well. So Blake, uh, we were looking forward to that very much. And Matt will be preaching in April sometime to be determined. Uh, pray for them to get sleep because they have lots of kids or a new kid in Matt's case. And uh, Matt, you're still surviving, right? Uh, yes, you are. Great. Amen. You'll be tired the rest of your life, right, parents? Uh, yes. That's got a bigger amen than most of my servants. No, I'm just messing. It's all good. But yeah, invite your attention to there in Exodus. Now, I'm not a football player, but I, I remember a guy like this in a cross-country team I was on, although the analogy here is for sports and, and football. But there was a boy uh, in high school who was just a goof-off. Just every time he came to football practice, it seemed like he was there just to, to joke and horse around and he never really played hard. He was lazy. Uh, he didn't practice diligently. And so what happened? He never got to play. And lo and behold, one day on his senior year in the same game, the starting running back got hurt. The second running back got hurt. The third stringer got hurt. And who else do they have, of course, but the lazy, goof-off, goofy guy. And there he was. And they put him in the game, and he ran farther, faster, longer, more touchdowns in that whole season than all of the other running backs combined. He ran like a wild man over all the opponents. And after the season, they came up to him, and they asked him, why did you play so well this year? What happened that changed your perception so much that you went from this over to that? And he said, it's simple. He said, you guys don't know this, but my father was blind, and he died the day before you put me in that game. And this is the first day, first day he's ever gotten to see me play because he knew Jesus Christ as Lord and as Savior. His motivation changed, didn't it? Changed because it went from a wild man to all this. And when you know that your Heavenly Father is watching you, Christian, doesn't it change your perception of what you do and why you do it? It makes you want to perform at a greater level, perform for a greater reason. And that's why everything you do and everything we will study today about God's glory is you are to, whether you eat or drink, you are to do what? Do it all to the glory of God. Colossians 3.23, Matt read this for us, and it'll be up on the screen for you. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as you're working for the Lord and not for men. 
A.W. Tozer, who I've quoted before as we studied through this series, said this. He said, God is looking for men and women in whose hands his glory is safe. It's a profound statement by Tozer. What he's saying is God is looking for men and women who will live in a passionate pursuit of the glory of God. Whether you eat, whether you drink, whether you play football, that you are sold out to live for him and not your own agenda and not your own self. And God is looking for those who are in the grip of the pursuit of wanting to please him above everything else in their lives. So I want to ask you this morning, do you want God to use your life for eternity? Do you want God to ignite a heart on fire for him that he is so, he's look at you like Moses and your face shines with the radiance of who God is? Do you want to know God fuller and more deeper to grow as a Christian? I hope that's your prayer. You know, we've talked often that God puts us in those hard times, the trials of life, so that he can shine through brighter than our circumstances. And that's our big idea today. Because we are going to see Moses in a circumstance that he wants to see God's glory, but he's, got, he's already been through a lot of junk, and he's going to go through 40-ish more years of craziness. And that's the big idea from today's topic, is we look at God's glory. Perhaps God has put you into this mess so he can bring you out for his glory. It's easier to say on paper, isn't it, than it is to live in real life. Absolutely. But God's glory is foundational and first and foremost. We either live for the glory of God, all that he is and calls us to do, or we are just simply existing and breathing here in this life. But this is exactly why I love Moses. Because Moses, what was Moses' sin, guys? What was it? He got angry, didn't he? He was told to do something, and he didn't do it, and he took his staff, and he just, man, he whacked that rock. He got so mad at the people of God, but Moses knew Moses knew that to live out his calling as a leader of the people of Israel, he needed more than just his strength. He needed to live a life that was sold out to the glory of God because when he did that, the hard times were put a little more in focus and a little more in view. The last couple of weeks, we've been studying the sovereignty of God, as you'll see up on the screen, and the unchangeableness of God. And we've covered those topics We talked about how God has planned all things for his glory. And last week that his word doesn't change, his uh, character doesn't change, his salvation doesn't change. And all that leads us to today, it leads us to know that God's glory is first and foremost the reason why he does all things and why we are to do all things. So in Exodus 33, we're kind of going to walk through this a little bit different than we have before. We're going to go verse by verse, uh, but we're going to look at four things. How do you live out God's glory in your life? How did Moses do it? Four quick things. You're going to see that he did it through a request in verse 18. And and then God, as God will and should in his character, he puts restrictions on him in verses 19 through 34, chapter chapter 34, verse 4. And then God shows him himself. He gives him revelation, Moses. Here I am. And then Moses finally has a response that I pray we all have. He bows the knee in reverence and prays because of who God is. Moses had one prayer today, folks. Lord, show me your glory. And before we get into this, because we are in a Baptist church, this is not your TV preacher, uh, whatever weird wackiness that goes on. This is a man of God praying that God would show himself to him. How does that relate to us today? 
Because as we will see, and many of you know this, Moses had been dealing with a very hard-hearted group of people. They celebrated when the Red Sea, the Israelites did, came down on the Egyptians and they left Egypt and they, they plundered, the Bible says, Egypt. They were so happy. But after three days of walking in the wilderness, they said, man, this is dumb. Why did you bring us out here, Moses, to die in the wilderness when we could have been slaves, had meat, had food, had shelter? Why did you bring us out here to die? And God answers them over and over and over and over again. But it seems like the farther God pushes Moses to take the people to know him, the people push back and murmur and complain and do all this stuff. And God knows that Moses' only real equipping, his only real tool here is that he sees him as he is. And so Moses comes before God in this prayer and prayed the most important prayer anyone can pray on this planet to Almighty God. God, show me your glory. No matter what you are doing here today, no matter what you have in life, no matter how weak you feel or impossible the journey is, Christian, your prayer is, Lord, in my circumstances, show me your glory. That is the prayer of Moses. If you're able this morning to stand, we stand in honor of God's word here. If you would uh, join us in standing and reading Exodus 33:17 17 uh, through verse uh, 8 of chapter 34. Again, on page 77 in the uh, blue Bibles there on the pew. I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version this morning. Verse 17, And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And Moses said, and here's that prayer, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I'll show mercy on whom I show mercy. But he said, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Verse th- or chapter 34. And the Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I'll write on the tablets the words that you were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready by the morning. Come out up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you, and let no one be seen throughout the mountain. Let no flocks or herds gaze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut the two tablets of stone like the first, rose up early in the morning, and went up to Mount Sinai, as the Lord commanded him, and took in his hand two tablets of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love, verse 7, for thousands of generations, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and even the fourth generation. And lastly, verse 8, and Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshiped. It's an intense passage, isn't it? It really is. I hope to break this down for you as we see why it's so important not only to know God's glory, but to live it out as we go through this life, no matter what we face. Will you bow your heads with me in prayer this morning? Father, we are so grateful that we have the text old and new, that from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, it is your infallible, inerrant, inspired, sufficient word for us, Lord. 
Father, help us today, no matter what we are facing, whether that is hard times, good times, or anywhere in between, that your glory to seek after, to bring uh, praise to your name is what is paramount. Father, may this sermon do that to your name, to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. You may be seated. You may be seated. You see in that verse, first verse, how do you live out God's glory in your life? What does this mean exactly? Well, we're going to look at that first verse there in verse 18, the request that Moses makes. Look back there at verse 18. He says, please show me your glory. More than anything else in all of life, more than even getting the people to stop complaining, more than even doing whatever it is Moses wanted. Moses, if you were to peel back his heart, he wanted to know and experience God's glory in his life. He wanted to know. He prays, Lord, show me, show me. This isn't a secondary request. This isn't, Lord, give me a hamburger, and if you feel good, put some ketchup and mustard on it. This is him saying, I want it, and I want it more than anything in my life. And that's the first sub-point for you here today, folks, is that when you are a Christian, maturing means being more captivated by the glory of God in your life. That's what it's all about, is knowing and seeing God glorified even when you change a diaper. When you do the thing that you've done a million times before, God, can you get praise out of this? Can you advance your kingdom through the seemingly mundane task? But God can only be known to the extent that God made himself known. God, he, Moses is praying kind of a dangerous prayer. He says, God, show me your glory. Wow, that's a, that's a bold prayer. But he couldn't come to God like a scientist in a test tube. I'm not a scientist here. I'm not good at any of that stuff. I can't even vacuum out a, a chimney for the third straight week and get that right. You know that story. But God, by his sovereign rule, made himself known to Moses. Not because Moses concocted a special formula prayer, but Moses could only know God as much as God would let him be known. He prays that God would show him his glory and make himself known through that prayer. Now, the big question here is, what is God's glory? We need to define that for you. This is the greatness of who God is. It's the perfection of him made known to man. It's glory we give God, we ascribe it to him. God does not share his glory with another. You see that all throughout the scriptures. It neither increases or decreases. It's always the same. Whether I give glory to God, the glory he has is the sum total of all that he is. The Hebrew word there is, uh, Blake's probably going to teach this to me, kabod is literally what the word means. It means heavy or weighty. Uh, as soon as I heard that word when I was studying this week, I thought of uh, uh, Back to the Future. How many of you have seen Back to the Future? And Michael J. Fox used to say, man, that's heavy. Some of you remember that 80s show. And you know, that's kind of what it is. You know, a, a rich man's wealth is measured by the, the poundage of his possessions. So much gold, so much silver. The more he has, the weightier his profile, the weightier his portfolio. And God's glory is kind of that same way. God's glory is the weight of God, if you want to say that. God is heavy, quote unquote. He's not a lightweight contender, if you want to put it in the boxing terms. He's the heavyweight champion of the world, if you want to go even further with that analogy. There is a weightless of the magnitude of who God is. And this prayer, what he is praying to Moses, what Moses is praying to God is he says, make me know in fuller measure who you are. God, let it be known who you are in the depths of my soul so I can live out the command you called me to do. These, these, uh, these squirrels over here, these squirrely, squirrely people that you've called me to lead who 
don't want to follow anything I've said. God, let me know who I am before you and mostly who you are so I can lead them properly. I think this tells us, guys, Moses is, and Paul, and you get all these big names in Scripture, and you say, man, I could never be like that. Christian, I think the second sub-point you need to realize out of this, this request, is that no, no matter where we are spiritually, none of us has truly arrived to where we should be. There are times you may feel like, man, I got this dad, I got the routine, as long as I say these words at church and do this the right way, then I can get by another Sunday and no one's going to really check to see where I am with Jesus Christ. But how much more should all of us be involved in the passionate pursuit to know God fuller and deeper? I mean, think about this. Moses was the greatest leader of the Old Testament, arguably. He comes to God face to face. God talks to him as a man talks to a man. And yet he sees a need in his life to know God more fully. Because God's glory was so weighty on him. Friend, that needs to be your heart today. That needs to be my heart today. More than anything else going on in your life, more than anything else going on in your work or your family, more than important than your ministry or whatever you have in your life, there needs to be a passion to say, God, show me yourself through your word, by your spirit, that I will be able to lead my family, my church, my business, my whatever, and be all you have called me to be. Christian, does God's presence in your life, is it so heavy, quote unquote, that you feel the need to constantly come before him and say, God, I need to know you better because I can't do this. That is the key to the Christian life. 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God himself, Moses wants to know more of his holiness. He wants to know more of God's sovereignty, of his power, his mercy, and his love. You know, uh, we are not good fish keepers. I think I've told you that before, but uh, it's kind of like this analogy. It's impossible for a fish to be happy on land, right? Did you think about that before? If you don't uh, try it out, it doesn't work very well. But a fish on land is struggling to make it. It's flipping, it's squirming, it's twisting, and it's jerking, and it's jumping. Why? Because as obvious as it is, it won't relax because it's not in the place it was made to be. And Christian, what you need to do today, if you're here and you say, I just don't feel that presence of God like I used to, is you need to pray more than anything and say to God, God, show me your glory. Not so I can get prominence in the church, not so I can be spiritually better than anyone else, but so every time I can come to you, Lord, I want to see it as you see it as best I can through sin-filled eyes. Lord, show me your glory so I can live it out in every context that I'm in. Every time you open the Bible, say, Lord, show me your glory. Every time you pray and get on your knees, say, Lord, show us your glory today. Every time you meditate and think about the things of God, Lord, show me your glory. And that's what it means is to know him more. Christian, that's why we have said from the start back in the second week of January after Matt's ordination that we aren't here just to get more head knowledge, but we want it to sink deep in your soul. Because when that changes you, it changes everything around you. Christian, would you pray this week what Moses prayed? God, show me your glory, because that should be the passion of our lives here today. Passion of our lives, and it's life-changing. There's the request. Let's go on the restrictions. What did God lay on Moses as far as the restrictions go? Well, Moses has prayed the right prayer. But how did God respond? Look back at verse 19. God says, yes, but. Yes, 
but he said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I'll proclaim the name of God before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I'll have compassion on whom I have compassion. God says he's going to answer that request. What a bold request that was for Moses. But God says yes, but down in verse 20, as we will see, he says, but you cannot see my face, for man cannot see me and live. Friends, that's why every prayer that we have, the first subpoint here is every prayer we have is that God gets the glory, never the greed of man. Do you see that when Moses prayed this, he didn't say, Lord, show me your glory so that I can be the best leader that's ever happened in the Bible and that people will look at me and say, wow, Moses, you really got it together. Or, Lord, give me your glory so that I can go retire in a land far away from these crazy people over here so I can just go live my life as a hermit out in the middle of nowhere. It's not at all what it was. God, he said, I want to see your glory, and God put some restrictions on that. He put some restrictions on who it is. And notice that God says no one's going to represent him here. God makes it very clear that it is himself, the Lord, who will pass by Moses. And God will proclaim his own name. You know, names in the Bible, many of you know this, are very significant. If you name someone something, it's because they were, something happened. And often it's, it's, it's kind of humorous in our 21st century because we'll read the, you know, a woman had a great labor pain and she names the, the kid after the pain in the Bible that she had. And you think, what a poor kid, you know? Uh, it, it's like saying, um, you, know, you know, the kid was born in, in 1997 well, the Royals haven't won the World Series in 12 years. That's the name of the kid. You know, what, you get what I'm saying here. A name in the Bible is who the person is. And God is going to come and show Moses the name that is his, his character to his inner soul. That's the answer. But he says, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy. God is showing him by sovereign grace exactly who it is. God will do for Moses what he won't do for others. God is answering a prayer. It's very personal and unique. But he tells him there in verse 20, and this is very significant. He says, you can't see my face. What would happen to him? That's what happens when batteries die. You know, and sometimes this does happen. Friends, I'm grateful that uh, as we go through this time, that God is sufficient to take every need of ours. Just one second. And you know what? Moses prays, God, show me your glory. Show me your glory. And you notice here, it would be easier for Moses to be transported to the sun. I mean, think about this. The sun in all its magnificence. It would be easier if Moses had prayed, God, send me in a spaceship, some UFO ship, take me down there and allow me to be parachuted down on the hot surface of the sun than for him to be able to be saved from the glory of God. Moses can't handle it. He can't handle it at all. He would die on the spot. It's like a moth drawn to a flame and the, he would be consumed and everything would go haywire at that point. Christian, that is why if you're here today, thank the Lord for Jesus Christ. Amen? Think about this. 
outside of Jesus Christ, we are in no better shape than Moses is. We have to have the perfect, righteous Son of God be the shield for us, our access, our only way to heaven, because without that, we would be consumed. That's why he goes on in verse 21. He said, the Lord said, here is a place near me. You are to stand here. He puts a distance between himself and Moses, and he goes on in verse 22. He says, and while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed. So God gives him a first buffer, if you will. That's the rock. He gives him a second buffer, God does, to protect Moses, and that's he's going to put his hand up there. Now, this isn't, I just need to stop here and say, this is not the literal hand of God. This is what we call, uh, it's an expression showing God's protection, not a literal hand. And the third buffer, look there at verse 33, he says, I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. He can't look at him. He can't see the full frontal of who God is. If you want to put it in contemporary terms, God is too hot to handle, and he's too much for mortal to handle. And that's why in verse 1, he says, The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Second step point you're going to see here is this simply this. It's a longer point, but the infinite immensity and cosmic intensity of the glory of God makes all human swagger, as our generation says, exceptionally silly. Friends, this is why when we pray, as Moses said, God, show me your glory, we have to be very careful how we come into his presence. Christian, on a Sunday morning, as we rush here to church, I would encourage us to take time before church to prepare our hearts. Yes, chat with people, see people, but prepare your hearts as you come before this holy God. Because God takes his word so seriously, he takes his character so seriously that he had to put three buffers between himself and Moses. How often do we rush into the presence of God without considering who we're coming to worship? And notice here that God is preparing to reissue the same commandment. So you remember the story, don't you? That when Moses was up on the first round of time with God, 40 days up, and God gives him the Ten Commandments, what was Israel doing? They were having a golden calf party, weren't they? It's one of those, come to your home and we'll have a party for you. They make a golden calf and they, 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 they worship this calf. And what does Moses do in anger? Do you remember? Yeah, he takes those tablets and he just throws them down. That's why in verse 1, God is very specific here. He says, the tablets which you broke. God's very clear about that. But God's greatness is made known by his word. And friends, right now God is writing on his tablets, the very words of the Ten Commandments. Go on, verse 2. Be ready by the morning and come up to the mountain and present yourself. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout the mountain. Let no flocks or herds graze opposite the mountain. I want you to get this. As we pray for God's glory in our life, there will be certain restrictions God gives us. Friends, if God were to answer, God, show me your glory in the full, we would be laid bare. But what God does is he puts these restrictions here that Moses is to go hide in the rock and he will cover him. And all these flocks and herds, not even the animals can come up. Only Moses can do this. God is being very personable here. And you see in verse 4, Moses cut up the two tablets like the first and he rose early in the morning, went to Mount Sinai, the Lord commanded him, and he took the two tablets of stone. He took the two tablets of stone. You may be here today, and you say, God, I've prayed. I want to know God better, and he just doesn't seem to be answering my prayer. Friend, are you faithful in your study of Scripture? 
Are you faithful to spend time with him in prayer? Are you faithful to worship him on an ongoing basis? When you pray, show me your glory, God will put certain restrictions in there because it is a process, isn't it, as we get to know God through our entire lives. Reminds me of the story of a young boy you'll see up here. Is a little boy, probably about elementary age, was trying to pick up a rock, and he said, Dad, it's too heavy. It's too, I, I can't do it. And the father, uh, as a good father would, hopefully said, Son, you're not using all your strength. And the boy strained and strained, and he said, Dad, it's just too heavy. Will you help me out? And the father said again, Son, you're not using all of your strength. And the son said, Dad, I am. I am. It's really it's just too heavy for me. Please help me out. And what did the dad say? Son, you're not using all of your strength. And finally, the son just gets mad. He said, Dad, why do you keep saying that? I'm trying with everything that I have. He said, I know, but you haven't asked me to help you out completely. You want to do it all yourself. You want to do it all yourself. Friends, if you're a Christian, I want you to know that God may at times put restrictions on your life where you say, God, I am trying everything I can. God, I've tried this way, that way, the other way. I've called this person, that person. We've tried to pray. We've tried to whatever it is. There are times when God says, look, you are trusting more in your own strength than you are trusting me to be sufficient in your life. And there may be some times, because God is so much more glorious than we are, where we have to be strong in the strength of his might. You may face situations in your life this week where you are trying and trying and trying and trying, and the very last thing on your mind is to ask for the help. Or if you are asking for the help, not just to say the words, but do what 1 Peter 5, 7 says. Cast some of your anxiety on God. Cast how much of your anxiety, church? Cast all. Cast it all. Throw it all on him because he is strong enough to take it. And friends, this is exactly what Moses had to do. God said, Lord, I will answer your prayer. You want to see my glory? You want to live for me, Moses? Great. Here are some restrictions you have to do. Go cut out the rock. Go do this. Stand over here. But he did that because God was about to do something amazing in his life. Let's go on to the third thing. You see the request, show me your glory. The restrictions, God will buffer him. And finally, Moses gets the revelation of who God is. God gave Moses the revelation of who he is. Look at verse 5. The Lord descended on a cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. God showed up. God entered the building. God, uh, uh, you, you know, this is it. God's coming. God's answering his prayer, and the cloud becomes another buffer that filters out the shining, dazzling revelation of God to himself. Friends, as he comes down, it's the same cloud that led Moses out of Egypt. It's the same cloud that led Moses through the Red Sea. It's the same cloud that he saw when he got the first of the Ten Commandments. But it's the glory of God that's come down on him. Moses, you prayed for it. I'm answering your prayer. Here's some restrictions to protect you, but now I'm going to show you who I am. Look at verse 6. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God who's merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. I'll be very honest with you. This had to be a terrifying experience, even with all the buffers that God had put in for Moses. This is why, friends, that anyone who tells you that they have stood with Jesus in the present day, and Jesus has showed up behind them as they shaved, Jesus has showed up to them in their room, Jesus has showed up to them in some way, and they stood, 
while Jesus stood with them, is an absolute flat-out liar. Why? Because everyone in the Bible who ever saw God as he was did what? They hit the deck. I'm terrified. Lord, save me. John, when he was in Revelation, what happened to John? John was like a dead man, Revelation 1 said, when he saw the glory of God. This is why we don't believe anyone, and you need to check everything we say at this pulpit, from this church, any Bible teacher, against the Word of God. Because Moses here, even with all these buffers, is still terrified out of his wit's end. And God begins to speak and preach his own glory and his own greatness, and, 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 and here it is. But you've got to believe Moses was terrified. You have to believe that. And God gives his own self-revelation. He says, the Lord, the Lord. He proclaims his divine name and his divine nature. And this is a greater glory because he reveals who he is to Moses. And we can go through all these names, but the, the, the phrase there, the Lord God, is the Hebrew word Yahweh. It re, he repeats it twice for emphasis. It's the only place in the Bible, if you want to be kind of behind the scenes, it's the only place where he says Yahweh, Yahweh El, which literally means that God is declaring he is the only God that ever will be. That is. He's not the God who I will be, who I will be, or I was, who I was. He is the God who has not decreased, who has not increased, but is the God who is forever the same for his own glory and purposes. Guys, think about this. God is eternal. He's always been God. He's always going to be God. He's the active God. Nothing depends on, he depends on nothing. He's independent of us. He's a life-giving God and all these things. And God knows that Moses is leading a rebellious people, and he knows it's a tough task. And what God is telling Moses as he proclaims all these names, we'll touch on briefly in a second. He's saying, all you need, Moses, to live out your life for my glory that you prayed for is to know me and to know me better to carry out through the tough times. I will be your source, Moses. I will be your supply. I will be your sufficiency when no one else is around to understand what you're going through. Trust me, Moses. I've been there. I am God. I don't change. I don't change. All you need, Moses, is to depend on me. All you need, Moses, is to let me meet your every need, spiritually and physically. That's why the first application point here is simply this. We don't trust God so we can get him to give more of what we want but so we, will, so we will more be what he gives us. That's our prayer. That's why when Moses comes to this, he knows that he needs a God like this. Friend, do you need a God like this today? Do you need a God like this who at all times is around you, supporting you, strengthening you? When we anchor ourselves into this God, he's able to meet all our needs for strength, guidance, protection, peace, direction, all that I need is found in this holy God that Moses was experiencing before his eyes. How do you live for God's glory in a crazy 21st century where wrong is right and right is wrong and you, you can't catch a break on any level as a Christian? How do you live for God's glory? You pray, Lord, show me your glory, but help my heart to trust you through everything I face. Even when the circumstances are terrifying, even when they're crazy, Lord, help me to anchor into you. Help me to anchor into you. I just want to spend about two or three minutes going through these names, guys, as we go through. So I feel like we wouldn't do good justice if we don't. But look back at verse uh, verses 5 and 6 here. I want you to know that God is proclaiming his name. And uh, verses 6 and 7, he says, the Lord, the Lord, 
This is the God, uh, the Hebrew word El. This is why when you see the words Daniel, uh, Ezekiel, uh, literally they're uh, carrying God's name with them, the very name of God. But God here is the one who's spoken out of nothing and brought everything into existence. He's telling Moses, Moses, what is before you is going to sap you of all your strength, of all your things, everything before you. But I am the one who spoke a million galaxies into existence and hold them in the palm of my hand and know every one of them by name. Will you not trust me this morning? And that's why he gives some other application here. Each one of these represents a part of who God is, his divine nature. He says, first off, he says, I am the Lord. I am compassionate, compassionate. God is full of tender affection and warm devotion for his people. God is not a stoic sovereign who's cold and calculating. God is a God who's compassionate to us. You have to know, back in Moses' day, every other God hated the people that worshipped them. Every other God wanted nothing to do with the people who came before them. But God is compassionate to the deepest realms of existence, more than we can know. And if you're a Christian here today, aren't you thankful to the highest heavens that God has shown you compassion in Jesus Christ? Amen? He's also gracious. He deals with people who are so undeserving by extending them unmerited favor. Blake, that was the essence of your, your prayer from John Knox. Has he ever dealt with you this way? Has God shown you grace when he should not have shown you grace? The Hebrew word here for grace literally means to bend over or stoop down. Literally, God is stooping and bending over and getting us what we don't deserve. Use this analogy before. It's one of my favorite ones. If you were to wreck my uh, Hyundai Elantra out there, I gave it to you. Say, man, what's the pastor going to think? I would hopefully forgive you. Pray my heart would forgive you, right? But if I said, here, take my wife's minivan, her, her great minivan that we love, and you wreck that too. I don't know what we're going to drive, but we'll figure it out. We're, we're runners. We can make it work. But you know what? If I came back and you came back to me and said, Pastor, I'm sorry, I wrecked your other car too. No problem. No problem. Here's Matt Andrews' Lamborghini. You can have it. That's grace, folks. Mercy is I forgive you. Grace is you get what you don't deserve. What an amazing God he is. Friends, we don't even deserve mercy, let alone grace, but in Christ it's all been fulfilled. Thirdly, look at that. It says in verse 6, he's slow to anger. Let me be very clear, unlike the culture tells you, God is angry with sin, but praise God, he is slow to retaliate. God is not in a hurry to judge sinners, but God is repeatedly extending his grace. That's why if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, thank God that you hear the word today. Even with microphone malfunctions or whatever else may happen, you hear the word of God. And God has given you, if you're not a Christian, another chance to repent and believe that Christ is the only Lord and Savior. Verse, he goes on, he, he abounds in loving kindness. He, God's unconditional love for his own. We can never be separated from him. He's unfaltering in that love. Isn't it amazing when you pray, God, show me your glory, what he's going to show you and remind you in his word? Yeah, he goes on, he says, he's faithful and he's truthful, or he's faithful and true. Aren't you glad, church, that God can only speak the truth? He, he's not, it's not a five to four decision on some Supreme Court. It is God's word or no word. That is the truth at all times, in all places, everywhere. He's firm. He's dependable. He never goes back on a promise. 
Paul says in other verses that uh, he's the, the yes and amen, that he is the word eternal. He's a God of truth, therefore he's faithful to you. Blake, can I share your cards a little bit for your sermon in a couple weeks? Boy, I'm excited for this. Blake's going to be preaching on a verse from 1 Timothy 2. When we are faithless, he is faithful. Looking forward to hearing that because that's exactly where that is. It goes on in the next verse. It says, keeping steadfast love to thousands. Probably refers to the extent of his loving kindness. God extends literally to thousands of generations his love. He didn't skip over someone. There's no end to it. It can never be turned back. His heart is always fixed upon us to a thousand generations. Look at the next one. He forgives iniquity. God is infinite in his forgiveness. That word uh, forgives literally means to lift and carry away. God is lifting the heavy load of sin and throwing it far away. As far as the east is from the west, so have your sins been removed or forgiven. He's buried it in the sea of his forgetfulness. Well, if we just stop there, friends, we have a great God, don't we? Amen? But I hope that you also are looking back at the next part of the verse in verse 7. No way does he leave the guilty unpunished. Now, I just want to say right here, that is going to get you in trouble in most churches, in most places, because we believe God is a God of justice, don't we? We believe God is a God of wrath. We've preached on that as an Ask the Pastor question last August. You can look at it, listen to it online. But the other side of forgiving grace is divine justice and divine wrath. God is a holy God, and he must punish sin. Every sin, big or small, will be laid bare before him. None is swept under the rug and say, oh, no big deal. Just don't do it again. You know, you know, no big deal. Every sin will stand before him. And then he goes on, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and grandchildren. This doesn't mean that God holds children responsible for their parents' sin. Please don't take that. But actions of parents do have consequences for their children. And sinful choices of their parents will set the tones for generations to come apart from God's grace. Friends, that's the revelation of who God is. That's a lot of information, I know. But the point and the takeaway of this is that last sub-point there is simply this. Thankfully, God's commitment to us is not based, or is based, rather, on his character and not on ours. Because, friends, if we were to put ourselves up against that list this morning, many of us would fail. I would fail out in the first one because I'm not God. I don't know about you, but I'm not God. I would fail that very first criteria. Aren't you grateful that despite who we are, that God has loved us in Christ and continues to love us even despite who we are? Do you agree with that? Would you say amen? We serve a great God. So let's end with this. What's our response? God has shown him the request, show me your glory. He's, he's given him certain restrictions. Moses, I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock, put the buffers. Moses, here's who I am. Are you ready for it? Boom. And what does Moses do in verse 8? What's your reaction? What would your reaction be after this? Every one of us must respond as Moses responds. Look back at verse 8. We'll end with this. And Moses quickly bowed his head towards the earth and worshiped. Notice there isn't any hesitation. Moses doesn't say, wow, God, that's amazing. Let me go. I'll see you next Sunday at 1030, and we'll go from there. Or uh, give me just five more minutes. The game's almost over. My favorite show's almost over. No, without hesitation, he bows in utter submission to God and total surrender to his life. Moses could no longer stand in his presence. He must bow down and worship this Lord. What an amazing God. 
That's the first sub-point. A greater vision of who God is will always lead to a greater worship of God. You say, Darren, I just feel so stuck in a rut as we worship. Let me first tell you this, guys. Worship is not about you. It's not about me. It's not about the experience you get. It's not about the experience I get. Worship is about lifting primarily up who God is, isn't it? Worship is not to be played to the needs of carnal men. This is why, look, this is why we don't make it a priority here to have fog machines. I read a story about a church this week, no kidding, a big church whose name I won't mention, whose fog machine broke on them as the lights were down, the, you know, the tempo was up. I'm not saying this is sinful. Please hear me. I'm just saying there's priority to certain things. But their fog machine broke. They turned it off, and they didn't realize it, but the, it started coming out a little bit more. And the pastor got up to preach, and the fog's coming out. And eventually they had to leave the church because the smoke alarms were going off because the fog machine had taken over the church. Look it up online. It happened this last week. Look, if, if, if you need a fog machine to worship Jesus Christ, friends, you do not know Jesus as who he really is. Is it sinful to have a fog machine in there? Let, look, here's what I'll say. Are you pointing to Christ or are you pointing to people? That's what every decision should come back to. And if you know God for who he is, you want to bow down and worship him. Theology should always lead to doxology. Revelation should always lead to adoration. The word of God should always lead to the worship of God. Friends, I'm grateful here that you don't have to look at me and think, wow, I wish I could have muscles. I wish I had the hair of Darren, the nose of Darren. I am so glad you do not adore those things, church. Amen. I'm glad that, if anything, you adore that Christ is king. And what Moses saw was that, Despite all these things, I pray, Lord, give me who you are. Put the restrictions in place. Show me who you are. But, Lord, my response to live out for your glory is just to bow the knee and say, Lord, thank you that you are God and I'm not, but you're with me all the way. If you're not a Christian here today, the greatest display of the glory of God is the cross of Jesus Christ, where all the character, all the attributes of God were on full display. At the cross, if you're not a Christian, the holiness of God that should have fallen on you came on Christ. That's why you can't come to him except through the cross. At the cross, we see the wisdom of God, that God is both the just and justifier of all who put faith in him. At the cross, we see the wrath of God, the holy, righteous indignation of God taken away for us as Jesus absorbs it. At the cross, we see the grace and mercy of salvation found only in Christ. At the cross, we see the unchangeableness of God. There's only one way to salvation, and that was found in the promises fulfilled in Christ. At the cross, we see the power of God displayed. There's no other power but the gospel to take away your sin today. And this is the God who Moses came to learn about, came to learn about. Friends, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, I pray that you know that we love you so much. Thank you for coming. You're so welcome here anytime. But we have to tell you that Jesus is the only way to heaven. There is no other way. It's not by baptism we'll see next week. It's not by church membership. It's not by a tithe or good works or, or even giving me a Lamborghini. If you want to do that, great. That'd be wonderful. We'll sell it and use it for church funds, right? But one thing I want you to know, it's only in Christ. And if you're a Christian here today, Say, Darren, that's a lot of stuff. What does that mean for me? Can I just ask you, have you prayed lately? Lord, show me your glory. Not in some selfish TV preacher kind of way, but Lord, I want to know you better, Lord. I want to know you better. I just want to know you and spend time with you through whatever's happening in my life. I want to know you better. 
Father, thank you. Remind me of who you are just as you did with Moses. Lord, I know you're not going to come down in the cloud. You're not going to do those things. But through Christ, through your word, through your Holy Spirit, would you show me who you are? Christian, if that's your honest childlike prayer today, he will bless that. He really will. How do you live for God's glory each day? You take it and you say, Lord, whatever's happening right now, how can you get praise out of this? Shared on Facebook last night, you know, one of the crazy things about having a soot-fed house is that we, well, we have a soot-filled house, right? Sorry if you're getting sick of this, but it's just like the Lord keeps drawing me back to this in my mind. And last night our son, who is autistic and three years old, has come a long way even since we've been at Tower View. And he went down a slide for the first time in a long time. Go Simeon. It's great. I mean, he's three years old, doesn't go down a slide. He didn't want to go on a swing and all these things. And, you know, it's almost like the Lord was telling me, I haven't shared this with my wife. It's just that through all this craziness, through all this nastiness, literally nastiness, take your hand and, Jeff, Peg, you were there the other night, you saw it. It's nasty. Through all the messiness of this, God gives us little glimpses of his glory through things that we've been praying for, babe, for three years. Don't ever think that God can't use whatever mess you're in to bring you out for his glory. It may not be the way you want it. It may not be the way you think it will go, but he will take you through faithfully because that is the God that led Moses to lead those squirrely, goofy, whatever people to his glory through the wilderness all for 40 years. And that would have drove me nuts after four days. But God, by his grace, carried him for 40 years. Don't think he can't carry you if you ask, Lord, show me your glory. Teach me who you are through the circumstance. But, Lord, I trust you no matter what. Bring praise to your name. Let's go before the Lord in prayer today. Father, a little longer sermon than we're used to here. Father, I pray that through all the words spoken quickly as they always are, Father, that you would be glorified, you would be honored, you would be lifted high. Father, I pray that in the most minute thing in our lives this week, as our church gathers, as our families gather, as we do things around here, Father, to the biggest decisions we have to make from for deacons or for church councils or for whatever it is, that, Lord, we seek primarily to take the heaviness of your glory, the awesomeness of who you are, and let that be our aim, our motivation, and our goal, not working for men, but working for our Heavenly Father who's given us his life. Father, we love you so much. Thank you for each one here. There's so many hurting families in our midst. There's so many people who need so many things, Lord. But most of all, we need to know you through those things. Would you show us your glory through your word as we pray to you, study you, worship you, share you? Father, would you be honored? We love you so much. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to this time.